Revelation 19.7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. We've identified that the next great prophetic event to occur is the rapture of the church. The rapture will raise the curtain on the final events that occur before the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to establish His millennial kingdom here upon the earth. Those events occur in two places, in heaven and here upon the earth. Two predominant events occur in heaven following the rapture of the church. The judgment seat of Christ, referred to as the Bema, and the marriage of the Lamb. Three predominant events occur here on the earth. The tribulation, the second advent, and the millennial reign of Christ. Of course, these events that occur on the earth will actually be orchestrated from heaven. We seen in the previous study that the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, is the evaluation of the stewardship of church-age believers in which our wood, hay, and stubble, that is, works done in the energy of the flesh, will be burned up and we'll receive commendation and commission based on our gold, silver, and precious stone works that are done under the control of the Holy Spirit. This commendation will be presented through the awarding of Stephanos crowns. Those are crowns that are awarded for achievement. The crown of righteousness will be awarded on the basis of each believer's development of the Spirit-controlled life. The crown of glory will be awarded on the basis of the believer's development of spiritual maturity. The crown of life will be awarded on the basis of the believer's development of the faith rest technique. And the crown of joy will be awarded on the basis of the believer's development of faithful stewardship. These are the crowns that each believer will cast at the feet of Jesus that's mentioned in Revelation 4.10-11. The four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Although these crowns are not diadem crowns, which represent ruling authority, Jesus' teaching through the parables on stewardship indicate a connection between our reward and our commission to positions in both the millennial kingdom as well as the eternal kingdom. Luke chapter 19, verses 17 through 19, And he said unto them, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have there thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy, pant, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou over five cities. Last time in our study, we looked at the prophecy concerning the judgment seat of Christ, which immediately follows the rapture of the church, and we focused on the stewardship evaluation that will take place at that event. Now, while there is no 
condemnation of believers, according to Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Each believer will be accountable for his or her use of their time, their ability, and their possessions. And those evaluations will determine our personal role in the millennial kingdom and in the eternal kingdom. The church serves in two roles. On the earth, the church is described as the body of Christ. But in the future, she is identified as the bride of Christ. Regarding the union of Christ with the church, the church is his body. Regarding the intimate relationship of Christ with the church, the church is his bride. Whenever the Bible speaks of the oneness between Christ and the church, Christ is seen as the head and the church is his body. Whenever the Bible shows the distinction between Christ and the church, we see the church as the bride to Christ and Christ being the bridegroom. Adam and Eve were spoken of as two becoming one flesh, but they were still two persons. God still counted them as two. Adam was Adam and Eve was Eve. They were united to be one. And this is the relationship between the church and Christ. From one they become two, and from two they become one. When God first created man, he made male and female. Eve came out from Adam, thus she and Adam were one. Even so, the church comes out from Christ, therefore the church and Christ are also one. However, since Adam and Eve both existed at the same time, there was a distinction between them. In the same way, since the church and Christ coexist, there is also a distinction between them regarding oneness, they are one. But as to the matter of distinction, they differ from each other. These two positions have to do with the difference in time. Today the church is the body of Christ, but in the future the church will be the bride of Christ. Today the church is the body of Christ for the purpose of representing the life of Christ upon the earth. One day, at the appropriate time, God will bring the church to Christ. In that day, she will become the bride of Christ. Some people think the church is the bride of Christ today, but today the church is in the betrothal stage. God will bring the church to Christ as his bride when the work of the church as the body of Christ has been accomplished. Now, if we look at the time type in Genesis chapter 2, we can also see the relationship between the body and the bride. Eve was made out of a rib from Adam's body. It's interesting to see that that rib in the Hebrew grammar is feminine. So she was part of the body of Adam from the very act of creation. Since a portion of Adam's body was used to make Eve her position was the bride of Christ, uh, the bride of Adam, and thus in the relationship between the body and the bride, when reference is made to Eve coming out of Adam, it means that she is the body of Adam, but when Eve was brought to Adam and became his helpmeet, she became 
his bride. That which was out of Adam was the body of Adam, and that which was brought to Adam was his bride. So also, these two distinctive roles relate to the church and to Christ. When I first heard the term, Bride of Christ, I raised an eyebrow and put that subject on my to-explore list. We can see Jesus as Redeemer, Master, Savior, Friend, but a Bridegroom? Really? However, God's Word has quite a bit to say about this Bride-Bridegroom metaphorical picture as we find it in the Word of God. In the Old Testament, God's covenant with Israel is commonly pictured as a marriage pledge with Israel as God's bride. Jeremiah the prophet referred to Israel as God's bride in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 2. And he went on to lament the fact that Israel had been faithless by going after other gods. She had actually prostituted herself and become an adulteress according to Jeremiah 3, 6 through 9 as well as verse 20. Ezekiel and Hosea both speak of Israel's desertion of her lover of God. The terms harlotry and whoredom were used to refer to Israel's unfaithfulness to God, going a whoring after other gods. In the New Testament, the bride of Christ is used as a metaphor for the church, with Christ pictured as a husband and the church his bride. John the Baptist saw himself as a friend of the bridegroom, according to John 3.29, who, according to Jewish custom, as the friend of the bridegroom, takes care of the preliminary wedding arrangements. He came to pave the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul refers to himself as the one who gave the church to Christ presenting her as a pure bride to her one husband in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. He saw himself as the church's spiritual father in 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and was worried that the young bride, the church, might commit adultery by her willingness to accept another Jesus, another spirit, or a different gospel as described in 2 Corinthians eleven four. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the relationship between Christ and His church is compared to the relationship between a husband and a wife. The church's submission to Christ is compared with the wife's submission to the husband, but the stress of the passage is on the role of the husband. He is to love her as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her as the man's love for his wife intends her wholeness, so Christ's love for the church intends her completeness. The vision in Revelation 19, 7 and 8, announces the marriage of the Lamb, that is Christ, to the bride, that is the church. In Revelation 21, the vision depicts the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In verse 2, then the seer is invited to behold the bride, the wife of the Lamb, in verse 9, and to see the holy city coming down from heaven from God, in verse 10. 
The new Jerusalem is identified as the people of God, the bride of Christ, among whom and with whom God will be present forever. The second event that will occur in heaven following the rapture of the church then is the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb is a biblical reference to the union between Christ as the bridegroom and church as the bride. Look at the announcement that was made when Jesus returns to earth with his bride at the second advent as Revelation 19:7 through 9 records it prophetically. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lord Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now notice that statement. Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Notice specifically the reference to marriage supper. This is not the marriage of the church to Christ that will occur in heaven following the rapture. This is the marriage supper, the wedding reception, the marriage feast, the celebration of the marriage having already been consummated. Now to understand the distinction between the wedding and the wedding supper, we must understand the customs related to the Jewish marriage at the time in which this passage was written. There were five specific steps that were taken for a Jewish wedding and marriage. First of all, the arrangement for the marriage. Secondly, the betrothal ceremony. Thirdly, the preparation period between the betrothal and the wedding. And finally, the wedding ceremony followed then, number five, by the wedding feast. So those five steps are specific in Jewish tradition and relate specifically in the relationship between Christ and the church. There is the arrangement for the marriage. There is the betrothal ceremony. There is the preparation period between the betrothal and the wedding. There is the wedding ceremony. And then there is the return for the wedding feast. Let's look at these in a little greater detail. These arrangements for the marriage were made by the father of the groom. The arrangements called for a price to be paid for the bride. As a result of Adam's sin, man is born spiritually dead and must be born again, as John's Gospel, the third chapter, so documents. As a result of Adam's sin, we are born with a sin nature, and that means we are enslaved to sin, according to John chapter 8, verse 34. In the arrangement for our union with Christ, God sent His Son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death, to experience a victorious resurrection, to go back to the Father and intercede on our behalf with the promise to come and receive us unto Himself, that where He might be, we might be also. God sent His Son to give His life to pay our debt, 
to ransom our redemption in order for us to be free so that we could be qualified for this union and oneness with Christ. So living, He loved us. Dying, He saved us. Rising, He justified us freely forever. And someday, He's coming. Oh, glorious day. The Holy Spirit is the mediator sent by the Father to arrange the marriage with each of us who make up the church, which will then become the bride of Christ. John chapter 14 verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Further along in the Gospel of John, in chapter 16, verses 7 through 10, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. God provided through salvation an arrangement for the marriage between the believer who make up the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. The second aspect was the betrothal ceremony. That corresponds to our individual and personal salvation. You see, the ancient custom of betrothal helps us understand the commitment in salvation. Once the arrangement was made and agreed to by both parties, the couple move on then to the betrothal ceremony. To prepare for this, the bride and the groom would take part separately in a ritual immersion in water which symbolized a spiritual cleansing. The ceremony would include vows promising to be married. They would exchange rings or something of value, and the sealing of the agreement was by sharing a cup of wine. After this ceremony, the contract was binding, and the couple was legally married even though they did not live in the same house or have sexual relations. The groom and the bride maintained separate dwelling places, both remaining under their father's roofs. Because a betrothed couple was legally married, a separation or parting of ways for any reason would require a legal divorce. The Jews referred to the act of betrothal as taking a wife. And by using a form of the Hebrew word that meant purchase, the betrothal ceremony was considered an act of purchasing or acquiring a wife for the purpose of marriage. The betrothal ceremony would end with a feast to celebrate the occasion, and following the feast, each party would return to his or her own homes. Salvation, like the betrothal ceremony, is an identification of the commitment between the believer and Christ. The Father made the arrangements. Christ implemented the provision. The Holy Spirit initiates the invitation. And the believer accepts the proposal. 
Romans 10, Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2 The third step in the marriage ceremony and provisions was the preparation period between the betrothal and the wedding. During the betrothal period, the groom remained at his father's home and prepared a place for the two to live. Now this was normally done by adding a room on to the father's home. While the groom was preparing a place, the bride was preparing herself for the upcoming wedding. This usually involved three things. First, the bride was observed for her purity. The custom required at least a full nine months to pass between the betrothal and the marriage to ensure that the bride was not already pregnant and to attempt to assure that she was a virgin. Second, the bride consecrated herself. She examined everything in her life and changed whatever was necessary in order to be ready for the holy covenant of marriage. In fact, Jewish leaders began to use the term makedesh, meaning consecrated, for the act of betrothal. During the betrothal ceremony, the groom would often say to his bride, You are my Mekedesheth, you are consecrated unto me. So the bride made sure that she was totally set apart from all relationships and activities and that she was completely separated for her groom. Third, the bride made her own wedding garments. Ancient Jewish women did not have the luxury of going to a nearby bridal shop and purchasing a pre-made dress. They had to spend hours and hours. They had to spend days upon making their own wedding garments and adorning them with the special touches to make them beautiful. In the following, the type shown here, there are distinctions with regard to our role as the body of Christ, which does not necessarily fit the imagery of the role as the bride of Christ, but there are some parallels that can be drawn with these three activities for the bride during the betrothal period. First of all, we said the bride was observed for her purity. Our purity is provided and preserved by Jesus Christ, so this aspect is not directly applicable. The time of the betrothal period is when the church lives out the body function before we take the role as the bride. Secondly, we said the bride consecrated herself. The doctrine of sanctification in the Bible identifies three aspects of sanctification. Sanctification means set apart unto God for service. 
The three aspects of sanctification revealed in the Bible are first of all positional sanctification, which refers to the fact that we are set apart unto God in our position in Christ. By His holiness, we are set apart unto God for service. But secondly, there is experiential sanctification, which is progressive as we develop spiritual maturity and develop more time under the control of the Holy Spirit. We become more consecrated to God as we carry out our stewardship responsibilities. And thirdly, there is ultimate sanctification. That will occur at the rapture of the church when this mortal puts on immortality and this corruptible puts on incorruption. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we are transformed to become like Him. Third, the bride made her wedding garments. Now this will occur at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, the final uh, manifesting of this. The, gar- the wedding garments are clearly defined in Scripture. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and following, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to her, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Notice that phrase. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now this is not to be confused with our positional righteousness, which is appropriated by grace through faith. Grace being defined in that relationship as God's righteousness credited to our account at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E profoundly says God's righteousness at Christ's expense. At salvation, we are given God's righteousness. It is God's righteousness that makes us acceptable to God as it relates to our own righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. In our studies concerning this passage in the past, we have seen that the phrase filthy rags means used menstrual rags. And as we explained why that term would be used, we saw that under the Levitical law, a woman was declared ceremonially unclean as the seed passed from her body in her monthly menstrual cycle. Now because the promise to Satan in the Garden of Eden was that the seed of the woman would triumph over him, So as a reminder of that pending event of immaculate conception and the birth of the Messiah, women were ceremonially unclean to emphasize that promise concerning the messianic promise. But as born-again believers, when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, our production is defined as gold, silver, and precious stone, as well as fine linen, which is the righteousness of saints. Our righteousness 
is the fine linen, which will be our wedding garments. If the righteousness of the saints compose our wedding garments, that could result in some very skimpy wedding garments. The gold, silver, and precious stone are produced when we operate under the control of the Holy Spirit, but when we are carnal and walk in the flesh, we produce wood, hay, and stubble. The righteousness, that word daikon asune in the Greek means that which conforms to the specifications of the blueprint, revealed to us that God has a blueprint for each of our lives And as we conform to that blueprint, we are adding to our wedding garments. When we walk contrary to that, we make no contribution to the wedding garments. Fourthly, there is the wedding ceremony. The rapture of the church will introduce this. This wedding ceremony itself was not a part of the structure of the Jewish marriage at the time of Christ. The commitments, that is the vows, were established at the betrothal ceremony and no further vows or additional commitments were required after that. This, of course, corresponds with the establishment of our relationship with Christ. At salvation, an eternal commitment is made that is not revocable. There are a lot of things that occur when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We're born spiritually. We are sealed for eternity. We have the rights and privileges of adoption. We can draw on family account. We are eligible for the inheritance. We're eligible for marriage. We're eligible for military service. And we have a voice and a role in family affairs. The contract agreed to at the betrothal was binding and a divorce was required to break that contract even though the marriage had not yet been consummated. There was no formal wedding ceremony. The groom went went to the home of the bride at a time which the father would appoint. He would snatch the bride and take her to his father's home. The bride would be prepared there, and then the two would go into the bride chamber the groom had prepared, and the marriage would be consummated. The customary time for the groom to spend with his bride before they returned to the home of the bride for the wedding feast was seven days. The church will will spend seven years with Christ, following the rapture of the church, before being brought back to the home of the bride, this earth, for the wedding feast. The wedding feast is fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ. Following the wedding at the home of the father of the groom, the bridegroom would take his bride and return to her home and to their friends for the celebration of the marriage. Again, Revelation nineteen seven through 9 Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And He saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper 
is where the friends of the bride and the bridegroom celebrate. Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13 set the stage for our understanding. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be like unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps but took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there came a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone now. But the wise answered, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage supper, and the door was closed. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. There are a number of biblical references to this period of time. It's referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding supper, the wedding feast. The wedding feast was the highlight of the wedding celebration was much different than the wedding receptions to which we Westerners are accustomed, and it was much longer. The standard was seven days, but among the more wealthy, it could go on for a month or more. The primary purpose of the wedding feast was to honor the groom. The guests were expected to compose poems or sing songs to the groom. Now that the bridegroom had received his wife, he was supposed to display her beauty and her grace to all the guests. The guests would be the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. To honor the groom, the bride would wear her beautiful wedding garments, fine linen, clean and white, which is the righteousness of the saints. In return, guests would show her respect and admiration as well. Matthew chapter 22 says this, Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready come into the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his army, and he destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, 
but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man that had not owned a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now this passage is not addressed to the church, but to those of the age of Israel. They're not the bride, but the friends of the bridegroom and the bride. These are the guests that have been invited to the wedding feast, which is the millennial reign of Christ. And from there, we go into eternity. Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse 16. Jesus said, I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that hear us say, come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the word of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the tree of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We live in the Laodicean period of the church age. The next great prophetic event will be the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians 4.16-18 says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, so uh, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. From there we go to the judgment seat, and from there to the wedding and the consummation of our relationship as church with Christ our bridegroom. The seven years spent there, then we return with Christ for the wedding feast. The millennial reign of Christ will be the fulfillment of the wedding feast, which is also the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus said, You believe in God, believe also in Me and My Father's house or many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. But of course, it all begins at salvation. 
The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We say, Even so, Lord Jesus, come. 